I'm Matt Booker. I'm Dave Laird. I'm Evan Stevens-Hall, and this is the 2022 Roundup edition of The Concavity Show. We're not hearing things. That was our uh, guest, Pine Grove, Evan Stevens Hall of Pine Grove, that you were just listening to. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, thank you for letting us use that piece of music to open the show. Uh, we're really excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, thank you, Evan. Yeah, as Matt said, you are the lead singer of the band Pine Grove, which is originally from New Jersey, but now you guys find yourself in kind of upstate New York, and I guess I'd describe Pine Grove as kind of like a, a rock band that's also sometimes folky and sometimes got some alt country elements to it. Uh, I think you once classified it as language arts rock in an interview, which I laughed at. I thought that was great. So like a lot of your lyrical themes uh, tend to be pretty literary, often very political and like really evocative and highly introspective about your own self as the primary songwriter. Uh, you guys have a brand new album called 1111 that came out this year. It was uh, one of my favorite albums of 2022. We'll talk about that in our bonus se section. Thank you. And uh, I love like, for, so for example, on track one, Habitat, there is a George Saunders short story title right in the lyrics. And my brain exploded a little bit when I heard that for the first time. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. So lots of great overlap between you know, stuff we talk about a lot and think about a lot and what's going on for you guys over there. So that's great. So I guess the way we got connected is one day you just followed our, our Instagram concavity show. And I, I always make a point of like looking at the person's profile, follow them back. And then I was like, hey, I recognize this guy. And then I was like, wait a second, this guy's the singer of Pine Grove. Holy shit. This is awesome. <laughs> and then we had a little bit back and forth about books and uh, you always post on your personal account uh, on Instagram, your year roundup in books. And that really just got me thinking like, Oh, you know, it'd be great to talk to Evan sometime on the show. We love his music. We're big fans. Also, he does this year-end thing with books. We've done that for years. What a great fit. And so here you are. That's how we, we got together. So thanks for that. Perfect match. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> how did you find us, by the way? Like, what was the, what was the oh, connection I there? I mean, you know how it is. Sometimes you're just surfing the web and you end totally. up somewhere. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> this is cool. Yeah, uh, follow hashtag for David Foster Wallace or something. And... Something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. I was uh, what Dave is saying, like on your Instagram page, like clearly you're a prolific reader that comes through in your work. Um, and it looks like, I mean, just from, I, I don't know you, but it looks like you spend a lot of time reading. So it's exciting for us to talk to. It's like, yeah, more than I do. Loves reading uh, maybe more <laughs> than we do. So that's really great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, how, how much would you say you spend your time between reading and I don't know, music stuff? Well, I, I think actually for a long time I've been doing more uh, with the page than I have with, I mean, certainly I read more than I listen to music mm -hmm. and um, writing it, I, I'm really only in that headspace when um, 
you know, they're, they're kind of particular conditions that bring me there. And we've been touring a lot in 2022. So I've, I've written some new songs, but not many. And on tour, when, when we're playing every day, uh, I'm spending so much time reading because that, that's really the, the best way to, I don't know, just like preserve my energy, um, and, uh, stay sane. Yeah. So the answer is probably like a, almost like an 80 20 in favor of reading yeah wow so you guys just finished this tour and (laughs) you're kind of between stuff now like are you you working on new stuff now are you kind of just decompressing after 2022 you know i'm actually uh applying to grad school oh really Um, yeah for uh masters in english i graduated 11 years ago uh from undergrad and for a long time i've been kind of interested in um getting back in there and yeah and um, you went to Kenyon college which of course is like going to be a point of interest for our, our listeners wallace's famous commencement speech being there and all that yeah. i guess that was a little bit before you were there it was a handful um, of years yeah but um but i've seen it of course and um <laughs> actually they have i really disagree with this decision uh that Kenyon's made but they have uh a, a proprietary viewing opportunity only for graduating seniors like this is a video that's in their archives oh, okay and they only let you watch the video oh yeah i've never but, actually uh, seen you, it you'll see yeah. right it's in it's in the library archives and mm. you can find audio of it on youtube yeah. or wherever yeah. it's it's published as its on own vinyl. text <laughs> yeah right um but to watch the video you have to be a graduating senior oh, interesting. I, I don't i don't like that at all personally yeah i personally don't either because i'm not one of them so i'd love to see right you know fans of infinite jest who are curious about a mysterious videotape um (laughs) true i'm sure they're playing off that yeah it's Uh, meta kind of fits with it Uh, i mean there was other people at Kenyon college too lewis hyde um i don't know if yeah i took a class with him lewis hyde is absolute legend intellectual property and he has a new book out um about grief i think um, curious about this decision to to go back and just make literature full time study. Like that's a pretty interesting decision. Yeah, and how do you see that like intersecting with the band and what you're able to do in that direction? Yeah, well, I I don't see it as a renunciation of music or of songwriting. I, I just um, you know, I, I've I've always taken a lot of influence from literature, and um, I'm. Also, I mean, gosh, it's been really hard touring um, lately. The, these past three years now uh, mm-hmm. have has been, uh, you know, as um, as Zach plays drums in the band mm-hmm. uh, has said, there used to be one reliable way to make money as a musician, right. and now there are no reliable ways. Um, and so, so there's the awareness of that. Um, that touring is just really hard mm-hmm. and uh, also has always been tiring, even in the best, uh, <laughs> sure. even in the best case. Even so I've yeah. uh, been interested for a long time in um, maybe teaching later on in life. And I realized that if I uh, want to actually get a PhD or an MFA, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 33. Uh, if I want to be teaching by the time I'm in my forties, got it get something cooking. right <laughs> yeah totally. um but, but but even if none of that ends up happening 
I think just another couple of years of um, concerted study and reading mm-hmm. and guidance, really, like, you know, and uh, and some accountability with my reading, too, right, like yeah. to be in a class and know that there are things that are due and um, to be able to try out teaching. I, I think that in any of the programs that I'm looking at, it would involve uh, probably like a freshman composition course right. um, where I where I teach where I teach it. So yeah. that seems pretty exciting to me too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we'll see what happens, but uh, it, it is going to involve um, at least a little bit of a break for Pine yeah. Grove. Yeah. And uh, the band's been doing it for 11 years. And um, a lot of us are looking at kind of turning points in, yeah. in our lives. And yeah. so, yeah, pressing the space bar and um, seeing what happens. <laughs> cool. Do you have like a specific project or, or like a writer or like sort of like a topic that you're thinking you'd want to do maybe like a master's thesis on? I'm, I'm not positive yet. I definitely yeah. want to just like let, um, let my nose take me where it goes. But yeah. um, I am really interested in the transition between modernism and postmodernism mm-hmm. in the post-war period and how um, economic decisions and policies were, were inflected in the literature at the time. Uh, you know, we, we look at a novel like uh, The Waves, which is uh, radically collectivist. It really um, t- takes a lot of time making observations about the permeability between boundaries of self, um, which goes quite interestingly against what... Um, what type of writing the CIA was funding, uh, which was very first person oriented. Uh, you saw in a um, place like uh, the Iowa Writers Workshop, um, there was a lot of influence there. You know, I, I'm uh, I'm speaking from a place of curiosity, not expertise, but um, this this stuff that I've I've heard about that I want to look more into. Basically, yeah, the division of uh, cool individualism versus collectivism and how that may be inflected uh economic decisions in awesome. post-war america yeah um, cool that sounds that, great that sounds a lot of like uh, mark mcgirl's book the pro the program era do you know that book um i don't uh, you, sh- you should look into that that's, he's kind of done a history of like the rise of mfa programs because, uh, you know, the creation of the Iowa Writers Workshop kind of coincides with post-war era, like 1948. The idea that someone yeah. could get a PhD in creative writing still kind of controversial. Um, and, yeah. you know, the I'm super interested in this. Um, you know, the CIA created this front called the Congress for Cultural Freedom in 1950. Uh, and that was a lot of, like, former communist intellectuals who got together kind of leading this ideological struggle against Marxism in the fifties. It sounds crazy that they would have this like, you know, intellectual struggle, but it's always been a part of propaganda. I think, you know, the, the Paris review is partly founded with some of this money. Um, And there's a guy, a CIA agent, Michael Josselson, who was very literary and his archives are here in Austin at the Harry Ransom Center. So maybe mm-hmm. if you ever want to do some some first person research on that stuff, <laughs> I don't think honestly enough has been written about it. So it's really exciting huh. if anyone wants to come and do that kind of research. Uh, I think there's a lot more stories to be told. Um, that's really exciting. Cool. Um, so 
we've kind of said like where your head is at now. <laughs> and I think part of the po- point of this episode is to look back on the, the previous year. So uh, Dave, how do you want to, to segue into this? Should we just jump into the, to the list making of, of list making? Should Let's we do, do any, cov- any caveats about your list, Evans? Not a single one. Okay, <laughs> so they don't okay, have any books that came out in 2022. That so is very. I have limiting. like ten caveats, so that's good. You don't have any, so great. <laughs> okay, I, I want to leave yours? room for all of yours. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, what are your conditions, uh, Matt? Uh, well, I, this time I, I'm not going to mention books that we already covered on the show because you know I feel like same. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, oh, my favorite albums of the year. We're talking to Pine Grove. Uh, Pine Grove is my favorite album of the year. It's, like, <laughs> it's a given that like we did Adam Levin's book in 2022, yeah. Mount Chicago. Okay, Mount Chicago, we talked about for an hour or more. Yeah. I don't need to talk about Mount Chicago anymore. Yeah. I did um, the exact same thing. So yeah. that's a caveat. Or Kyle Beachy's book or Christian Chaborda's book. Yeah, Evan, did I mean, you read Kyle Beachy's book, The Most Fun Thing, Skateboarding Book? That is absolutely on my radar. I haven't, yeah, so it, I haven't read I it yet. I noticed that you um, follow him on Instagram. Yeah. Too. So it's like, okay, I wonder if you've, and you have skateboarding in your background as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I, I can't wait to. Yeah. You yeah, liked it's, it? It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. And like, even for people who are not skateboarders at all, it's great. Like, that's a, that's a yeah. hard book to categorize too. Like, it's nonfiction, but I don't really limit myself mm. to saying, oh, I'm not, I'm only going to talk about fiction or nonfiction poetry, graphic novels, whatever. So, books in general is what, uh, that's my only serious other caveat. I could probably rant on make up more, but yeah, cool. A good book's a good book. <laughs> I figure for the sake of time that if we if we each highlight f- five books that we love this year for whatever reason, that would probably make us get to an hour easily. <laughs> yeah, can't uh, wait but, to hear what's on yours. And yeah, I, you how do you want to? How do you want to start this? with you? I want to start with you, and you just say number one, no particular order, or maybe they are in order. Um, what was some of your favorite reads from 2020? I did not rank them. Good. All right. I didn't either. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's see if I can limit it to five. I might have to mention some others. Oh, the, totally. Please do. You know, yeah. as I am talking about one. So um, firstly, I want to bring up Ernest J. Gaines. Um, he is an American author that wrote, he had a long career um, between kind of like mid 60s till uh uh, the nineties or maybe early two thousands. Um, the book I read in 2022 was a gathering of old men. This came out in 1983. Okay. Um, his, probably his more famous work is a lesson before dying. That's uh, 93. Um, it is bewildering to me that he's not considered one of the major American authors of the 20th century. Oh, wow. Okay. Or at all, or at all for that matter. <clears throat> um, I think it's possible because he's very accessible. And I think that um, the, especially Americans do value difficulty. Um, sure. I, 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 I do, I do too. You know, I, I like the, the serotonin bump when you finish a really long, tough novel is amazing. Totally. Uh, <laughs> but for Gaines, there's just a, there's a moral seriousness that is not that often attached with such an accessibility. Um, so th- this this book, hmm. like uh, almost all of his books, is based in Louisiana. It tends to deal with racism in the South in the immediate aftermath of Jim Crow, um, where things are essentially as bad as they were in Jim Crow, but just 
under another name. And um, there are tensions that are threatening to boil over. Right. Almost anything at all could could make the whole town collapse. Um, in this novel, uh, there's a standoff between all of the old men from town, all the old black men from town, and uh, the white sheriff's department. Uh, there's been a complaint, um, and all of them are taking responsibility for the crime that's been committed as a way to protect each other. And what ends up happening is each of these men has a soliloquy, um, almost a, a short story about what has brought him to the breaking point, what's um, culturally and um, politically brought him to the conclusion that he just can't take this treatment anymore. Um, and so it's a really interesting formal conceit. Um, and stylistically, uh, I mean, I, I mentioned the moral gravity, but I think uh, that only gets at part of what he's doing because it's also really funny, really understated, and um, really hypnotic. Like, I, I might even compare him a little bit to Murakami um, in that way. Uh, really immersive and rhythmic and um, accessible. So, uh, th- so that that's a that's the oh, first yeah. book I, I want to recommend. Um, it's possible that uh, a lesson before dying is um, a better entry point, but uh, either of these would be totally great. And um, he's he's one of my favorite authors. I think this was the fourth novel of his that I've read. I really liked a lesson before dying. I mean, do you think it kind of got a yeah. bad reputation maybe in the mid nineties because it was an Oprah book. And I remember like mm-hmm. someone, someone gave it to me and I was like, Oh, this is an Oprah book. And then I read it and I was absolutely blown away. And like, I know a lot of other um, teachers who love that book and teach it instead of to kill a mockingbird. And like, I would love to see it replace to kill a mockingbird on a lot of syllabi. Um, I'm also a big uh, stamp collector. And so they're just announced a couple weeks ago, they're going to do an Ernest Gaines stamp. And I think that it comes out right. in next, next week or the week before. Like I don't have it yet. It's not out yet, but there's going to be an Ernest. He died in 2019, I believe. So he's just now eligible really to be on a stamp. And um, oh, cool! Pretty exciting. So good timing with the uh, any uh, wow. philatelists listening. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. You want to want to be pen pals, Matt? <laughs> uh, I have a bunch. I would love to send you some mail art or uh, stamps and mail, and right, I'll follow up with it. you on that later. But um, for real, uh, send Sounds you some cool. Ernest Gaines stamps. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of good books that end up being on the Oprah's Book Club, right? As much as we chagrin that sometimes, like The Road by Cormac McCarthy was one. So can't always balk at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. And uh, who who could who could forget when um, you know the Franzen controversy when he when he said it out loud, like, "Hey, I'm not sure I want this dumbass." <laughs> Franzen people debunk. aren't going to take my book seriously. <laughs> it was started, but he's uh, he definitely has a history of uh, putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, we talked about uh, Wallace's commencement speech at Kenyon, but my graduation commencement was Franzen. Oh, no and, way. Yeah. Whoa, how'd that sit with you? How's yeah. that? I, I liked his speech, yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Although uh, I felt annoyed when the the speech was verbatim published in the New York Times like the next day or two days ago. 
uh, two two days later without any reference to Kenyon College at all. So <laughs> that bothered me. But I liked the speech. Big up to Kenyon College again. We can't stop talking about Kenyon. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that that might be an all right transition to um, another book on my list, which is a Morality Play by Barry Unsworth. Um, this came out in 1995, and I learned about him because um, as I was getting my applications for grad school together, I was in touch with one of my former professors, Deborah Laycock, and she suggested this book. Um, Barry Unsworth taught at Kenyon for just a few years in the, in the 90s, I think. I hadn't heard of him. He, he's British, but lived in Italy for a lot of his life. I just loved this so much. Um, in fact, I, I read two books by him uh, this past year, also Sacred Hunger, which won the 92 Booker Prize. But uh, it's okay. morality play I think I want to talk about. Um, both of these were historical. They are historical fiction, um, which is absolutely not something I generally gravitate towards. But... Um, I think he probably was also annoyed that he was kind of pigeonholed uh, that I, I had been reading up on him a little bit and he repeatedly requested in interviews that his fiction just be taken uh, on its own merit. It doesn't matter that it happens to be set in the uh, uh, medieval England or uh, sacred hunger is uh an exploration of the transatlantic slave trade in the 1700s. Yeah. Um, everything about this book is so immersive and self-aware and manages to ask the big questions while maintaining this really sly balance. Um, well, I, I'll say a little more and it'll make sense. So th there's a, a group of... Um, this like medieval. I, I, can can I read the description of it? It says the book is set in medieval England, sometime near the 14th century, and the events described in the book take place in an unnamed village in the north of England. A priest fleeing from his diocese joins a group of traveling players. The players are traveling toward their lieges liege lord's castle, where they are expected to play at Christmas. But short of money, they decide to stage their plays at a village en route. This is really interesting already. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds like Station Eleven a little bit, but like pre apocalypse. Yeah. Pre, yeah. pre <laughs> almost everything. 14th century. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which apocalypse? Uh, yeah, which <laughs> Depends. Um, so, like, the, the most interesting moments here are when um, it's kind of unclear whether these actors are acting or whether they are being themselves. Like, you know, they're, they're uh, re rehearsals oh, cool. staged. Um, where you know somebody's like wearing a lucifer mask and then in between takes they're still wearing the mask but they're but they're saying whatever's on their mind um okay and the 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 majorly interesting part for me was when they uh when they start to abandon the um prescribed canon that these players are allowed to to draw from like you know biblical stories and stuff like that and they decide they want to make a play about real life quote unquote there's there's a um there's been a death in the town where they are and they kind of use the format of a play to investigate 
the death, um, Hmm. to talk about the nature of death. Um, And it is considered really awesome by the populace and really blasphemous by by the ruling class. And so... uh, it it ends up being a really excellent critique of the structure of medieval society, but then also of our own society in all the ways we've retained power structures, similarly based on exploitation and on avarice. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it really works on a lot of levels and was a really smart book, a wonderful book. Cool. Morality, Morality play. play. That sounds awesome. Definitely sounds cool. like something that'd be popular in grad school. <laughs> Uh, was, there's a lot of meat on Lots. the bone, you yeah, know, like, you, like can, yeah, you can really you dig, dig it for a while. It. Yeah. Nice. Matt, how about you? What are a couple of yours that you want to highlight from the year in reading? Uh, uh let's keep going with Evan's list. Okay. We'll do five, five, five. All right. Evan's sounds list. good. All right. Yeah. Cool. So let's see. I've done. Oh yeah. Um, okay. Uh, breakfast of champions, Kurt Vonnegut. Yes. Um, that's a great one. So this is his first book after slaughterhouse five. And that was the one that really brought him to, into um, renown, you know. And so, the, so it, then, Breakfast of Champions was the first book that he wrote where he understood that he had an international audience. So I think that's that's <laughs> interesting okay, yeah. to think about. Um, yeah. And we see with Breakfast of Champions a novel that's, I think, really trying hard to do something good in the world. Like it's kind of aware of its its own platform, and um, he's clearly trying. You know, he's he's talking about marginalized groups uh, explicitly in the seventies. Um, it's also showing us that the seventies were a vastly different time. You know, we would probably not tolerate this many instances of the N word from a white author in in twenty twenty two twenty three. It's been a while since I read this book. Like, are there quite a lot? Yeah. Um, and, like you know, he's, he, okay. it's uh, in an effort to talk about racism mm-hmm. and other bigotry uh, in the U.S. at the time. Um, but, you know, it didn't really age perfectly. But I think it's mm. the effort still has to be commended. Um you know, I, I'm just, um, you know, I, I'm really relating to the the image of him uh, in his workshop. This this novel took him four years to write. He thought it sucked for most of it, and um, it it was clear that that this weight of responsibility of platform was really weighing mm-hmm. on him. Um, and what came out was a book that earnestly tries to talk about prejudice and bigotry in the United States in the seventies. Um, he even talks about capitalism, um, and connects the two. So in a lot of ways, this was, um, a really, uh, advanced work for its time, but it kind of had, uh, an audience that was probably you know he knew a lot of high school students and young people were reading his work and i love that uh the first thing he tried to do when he knew he had an audience was talk about bigotry in the united states right yeah um did you hear the tim heidecker song that came out this year 
about Kurt Vonnegut. No, I Kurt, love Kurt Vile supports on the song. Oh, good. It's it's love wonderful, and he talks about Kurt Vonnegut coming to to his town to the university to speak, and it it is like a song to definitely check out. Okay. I have it on my year end playlist. Right. It's great. Writing this down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which like weirdly tim heidecker can write like a serious reflective album about his He's years in high school yeah yeah and then also be like one of the funniest humans on the planet definitely yeah you know i i think uh vonnegut with this book is actually more successful in talking about race than like a book another book that i love which is related to it in a way is uh john updike's rabbit redux which came out a little bit before that, I think 1968, and this is 1972, 73. And, you know, all of those, you know, white men writing about race in the Vietnam era, post-Vietnam era, it sounds really clunky and antiquated. But like, I think to me, when I think back on, on these guys writing about it, it shows like in some ways how far we've come and also how not far we've come, you know, like today reading about, Oh, the Supreme court rolling back affirmative action stuff. And there are still people who are white men older than us who would be happy to roll back things as far as they could uh, into the 1950s. So I, I think the fact that he was so politically engaged, I mean, obviously the um, <clears throat> slaughterhouse five is a political novel uh, geopolitical in a lot of ways, but it shows like political is personal. And this is a much more personal book. Breakfast of champions is very smaller scale compared to uh, slaughterhouse five. But I think the fact that he still has a pretty big following, like I went to the Vonnegut museum in Indianapolis in 2021 for the first time, which is like, they make a big deal of Indianapolis. They go, that sounds fun. Go see Vonnegut. <laughs> like it's in the airport and shut like big oh, signs cool. like Vonnegut. Oh yeah. So the fact okay. that he's still like, he's not forgotten, and you know I think widely read, uh, is mm-hmm. hopefully is taken as a, still as a serious writer. So yeah, it's been a while too. The funny the thing that that sticks out his like in my mind the most about that book that I remember the most about it is just like how he always mentions the penis size of every male character in the book. That <laughs> 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 like when you're talking about all this like you know race uh you know critical race theory stuff i'm like i don't remember any of that i just remember the, him like referring to every guy's <laughs> right and, and, and then and like he he uh, me- measures his own at, right. with, like you know, hilariously <laughs> diminutive dimensions <laughs> that's great he he wasn't afraid to laugh at himself. Yeah. And this is a book where uh there's a lot of visual components. Like he's mm-hmm. illustrated yeah. a lot throughout right. the book, which is so fun. Um it's such a characteristic voice mm-hmm. um or a singular voice. Yeah. So, you know, got a lot of He just like it. seems like Mark Twain. Like they seem like they're so kindred of like the way that they satirize. It it's so visual, but it made for a terrible movie. I don't know if you know. Oh, they made I never like saw a, that. No, I never didn't, watched it. Didn't try that out. Don't waste your time. I mean, it's like okay. Bruce Willis and Albert Finney. It was just a total bomb. I mean, it's like a famous <laughs> thing of like writers who were like, I don't care how the movie is, just pay me, you know? But right. also like, do you really want a box office bomb on your, like associated with one of your best <laughs> books? I don't know, man. Yeah. Number three. Um, That's number three. Yeah. What, what so I think, I think I have one more maybe, um, Although there are plenty more that I, I really had a hard time narrowing it down to five. But um, how many books do you think you read this year, Evan? 
Um, do, you, do you count every year? I I do count. I think it was in the in the fifties, like oh, nice. roughly one one per book week. a week. Wow. Yeah, that's good. I was like low twenties this year. Well, we all fit in what we can. I was in the thirties, but a couple of them I wouldn't really count because they were really easy. So. I did reread uh, the instructions by Adam Levin this year, so that took oh, four months out of my reading. Yeah, that's a long <laughs> yeah. book. That, that counts. As yeah, like that four. decelerated my. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, give us give us another one, Evan. This is good. Okay. Yes. Yeah, um, awesome. Public Library by Ali Smith. Mm, okay, I've never read any Ali Smith. I have one of her books at home. It's been on the shelf for a long time, but. I think I need to dig into some of this She stuff. is so great. She is one of my absolute mm-hmm. favorite uh, living writers okay, or just awesome. writers in general. Um, mm-hmm. I think this might've been my eighth book that I've read by her, uh, wh- which oh, wow, I okay. think is a testament to just like, you know, I can't get enough. And she's yeah. written a lot yeah. too. That's maybe half of yeah. the, uh, her total output and she's still making them. Um, mm. But this one is the first short story collection I've, I've read by her. Um, public library. So, uh, there are all these, like, they're, they're classic short stories or just like, you know, what you think of when you think of a short story. And then there are these interstitial pieces in between that are talking, um, mostly in other people's voices. Like, uh, she, she, I guess, invited writer friends and other serious readers in her life to comment on why public libraries are cool and important. This Mm -hmm. was right around, when um, the Tory government, uh, which is to say the Conservative Party in the UK, yeah. were slashing budgets for libraries. This came out in 2015. I, I thought it was really cool that she y- used um, whatever opportunity she had to include these testimonials about why libraries are good. Um, and it also it explained within the text like uh kind of what the political strategy was there uh from the tories switching them from publicly funded to community funded quote unquote which really meant Mm. volunteer and uh donation based funding um which of course is in line with the conservative agenda everywhere they don't believe in public services or helping anyone in particular Besides themselves and their rich friends, of course. Uh, sure. So um, we have that context, and um, the stories themselves are uh, pretty um, representative, I think, of what Ali Smith does well, which are um, the, these are stories about um, about language, about words, about um, they, they engage with authors she likes and she's thinking about like there's this whole um story that is nominally about her trying to fight a, f- a false credit charge um on one of her cards but really mm-hmm. turns out to be her thinking about dh lawrence um while she's like pissed off on hold um <laughs> uh, cool. and uh th- that's fun. that's fairly indicative of of what she does um so like really for anybody that loves reading fiction about words about etymology about authors then um this is definitely for you oh nice what's the title of that one again 
<laughs> yeah, public library. Um, yeah, it's, it's so it's story. It's a story, and then it's followed by like a reflection from a different person. Is that what you said? Well, or... no. I mean, they're they're not really related as such, uh, but they're all kind oh. of thematically, like loosely connected, just as um, a celebration of writing and reading. Okay. Cool. Yeah. But she recruited like other people to write reflections. Is yeah. That she apparently interviewed people and included their responses about like oh, yeah. why public libraries were meaningful to them. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. it's an important cool. institution, what services they provide. Yeah. Nice. So it was pretty cool. cool. And, and basically it was just like a lot of uh, writers that, uh, that we'd recognize the names of um, that say this was, crucial to my development as a writer and it's kind of making the case that if we want to keep having good art then uh we have to we have to value it from the very beginning yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. yeah and there's this quote that you see often that's like the library is the last place where you can sort of be in a public building and not with the expectation of buying anything yes yes <laughs> that's right. it's it's sort of like you know, a place to hang out and, you know, it's not Starbucks, it's not Barnes and Noble, it's a public entity. And that's, you know, we have very few of those in the U.S. You know, we don't have like yeah. very many other institutions. So I definitely think it's important. Evan, was that four, I think? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I, I think that probably um, for you two and any listeners that haven't checked her out, um, Autumn, her novel Autumn is probably a really good place to start. She wrote um, uh, four books for uh, named for the seasons um, that were published uh, within a year of each other. Right. Yeah. Um, So so, uh, this was kind of her attempt to make a uh, a hyper contemporary um, statement. She said uh, in in interviews that I've read that she's like well i don't know if this is good literature but it's but it sure is current <laughs> and um it's that but it's also great it, it really is great it's it's unbelievable that she wrote all of these so fast and um summer which came out in 2020 uh the summer of 2020 mentions george floyd it mentions the coronavirus um, they're, they're not like major elements of the novel, but but like when I was reading that book in um, August of 2020 and saw George Floyd's name in print in a novel, that was very, it was surprisingly emotional to, to see that. So I think that if only for that, the project was really worthwhile, but it's not only for that. Um, it, th- these are fantastically inventive and um, playful, uh, f- funny, strange, um, all the good stuff. I, I think that th- you can maybe make a connection to uh, George Saunders in the tone sometimes, but she's a little bit more um, uh, exists in the real world. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Saunders is a bit in the stratosphere with yeah. most of the kind of like sci-fi elements of his of his stuff. Yeah, but kind of that friendly, playful tone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have to read the books in in sequence that they came out? Is that helpful, or they can they just stand alone? They can stand alone, but um, cross references start to accumulate 
especially mm-hmm. by the last one. So there's yeah, there's okay. something fun if you read them in sequence, but they're all great. Nice. And if you just like happen to see Spring on your friend's bookshelf and want to borrow it, there's no harm in that. Noted. <laughs> Noted. Awesome. Yeah. Give, yeah. give us another one. Cool. This is so good. I think I think I said I sure yeah. I will I, if you want. I think that was That was four. Oh, I was think, it? Right? Okay, sure. Yeah, let's do five. Uh great. Okay, I'm I'm between two. Maybe if there's one that that you might uh prefer here. Do two. Do two. All, all right, fine. <laughs> Top 6. Top 6. Joy Williams breaking and entering. People have been recommending me Joy Williams for a long time and especially because of my love of John Williams, like the proximity of that for some reason was just like, all right, they well, I got to enjoy clearly. Uh, Are they cousins or spouses or anything like that? I would like to know. <laughs> um, so aesthetically for me, this was just exactly what I like in a novel is strange it was funny. It was dealing a lot with mediation, you know, it was kind of like formally self-aware um, and used th- those types of uh, treatments to talk about how strange it is to be alive. Um, it is a book that for me was genuinely esoteric, is really at the, n- the edge of mystery of knowing of language of life um and all of this is against a kind of incongruous backdrop of an extremely alcoholic florida tropic uh this is like (laughs) southern florida um the plants are exploding out from every corner everybody's constantly drunk and um the main character is a young woman who's just kind of trying to f- figure out <laughs> what this shit is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it turns out that she has a a near death experience uh, earlier in her life. We learn through um, through a flashback, and that kind of contextualizes her uh, present tense position, where she she's living on borrowed time and doesn't really know what to do with it. And that was something I really related to. Um, I mean, not, not that I've been close to death uh, in any literal sense, um, but just knowing there was just a moment of recognition, I think um, between me and this character that when you, that's, it's sort of rare when you find something like that. And um it's unignorable when you do. And so I'm not sure that this novel is necessarily for anybody, everybody, mm-hmm. but for me, I think it may have been the best novel that I read this year. It's terrifyingly, depressingly good. Every, everything <laughs> that people have been saying about Joy Williams based on this one novel alone is absolutely true. Okay. I don't know anything about her. What's her, what's her, where is she from? Is she from Florida? I think she's from Florida. Um, She, um, she wrote a guidebook to the Florida Keys. Um, Yes. Oh yeah. That's true too. She's very affiliated with the uh, Iowa Writers Workshop. I mean, she's a big part of literary culture. I think uh, she was married to, to the editor of fiction editor of Esquire for many years. And, um, had a lot of famous friends because she went to Iowa with Raymond Carver and mm. uh, Vance Borjali, who was one of David Foster Wallace's teachers to bring it back to 
you know, everything I talk about. Um, (laughs) But I, I, she just came up in my world the other day because she wrote a review of one of my favorite books, which is uh, Jim Gower's novel Explosives. And at the bottom of the review, it says she saw like an ad for novel explosives in the New York review of books with a blurb from Michael Silverblatt. And she was like, what the hell is Mm -hmm. this book? And she bought it on a whim and then reviewed it for this Substack called book post. And I was like, Joy Williams is writing book reviews. This is crazy. Um, Yeah. That's right. Wow. Uh, okay. So writing that one down so, too. Um, so and uh, so so th- this is um, one of those uh, you know vintage contemporaries, <laughs> which I um, have been really into this year, and it's such a nostalgic thing that th- these books, which I, a lot of them I think came came out just straight to paperback, and were intended for a younger audience. Uh, in a bygone era where there were a lot of people in their twenties and thirties who were really spending uh, a lot of their free time reading. And um, now I think it's a little bit more of a unusual or in some ways radical act to spend your time that way. (laughs) Um, Then these were marketed as fun things. You know, Mm. these were, this is like, uh, you know, the era of, um, as Wallace put it, the conspicuously young writer, um, you know, Brett Easton Ellis, uh, mm-hmm. Jay McInerney, um, uh, Richard Ford, uh, um, and Beatty. Yeah, yeah. Fred, Frederick Exley has one there. Yeah, fans notes. Um, Jane Ann Phillips, etc. Um, so uh, I, I, yeah, um, I guess I was reading this book also with an interest in that and an interest in um, what those authors were up to, which uh, I guess is sometimes called um, minimalism or Kmart realism, um, (laughs) kind of like uh, a response, at least as I see it, to the encyclopedia novel, the really tough, thick, abstruse um, approach in the 70s. And here we have in the 80s a new generation of writer who does want to critique materialism, mm-hmm. but does so from a more detached, um, kind of uh, nihilistic standpoint. Um, sort of a, a fuck it, like, you know, this this is who I am, this is my generation. Uh, <laughs> you know, really kind of trying to stake out a new voice. Um, so that that's fascinating at very least as uh, a reaction to Pynchon, Gaddis, DeLillo. Yeah. Um, but I, I think uh, has to, um, its descendants are alt lit uh, Tao Lin maybe, or like uh, Blake Butler. Uh, you know Blake. Yeah. Blake. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um and I think you see um, a lineage there. So that's kind of fascinating to me too. Hmm. Cool. That's breaking and entering. Breaking and entering 1988. Cool. Well, and then I guess the last one, um, it kind of follows uh, well from that, which is Tao Lin's novel, Leave Society. Um, I, I was uh, really 
fascinated to read this, um, having read his earlier works and not always liked it. Um, it, he, in his earlier books is, um, drug obsessed, uh, totally egocentric, very nihilistic, very bleak, um, quite like someone like Brett Easton Ellis, who is a writer that I've also, uh, read and not liked. Um, <laughs> Although there is something stylistically engaging about all of these these books, um, but in Leave Society we have a book by somebody who is really trying to heal, trying to heal from um, toxic masculinity, toxic culture in general, and pharmacological toxicity um, w- with a really um self-aware fastidious obsessive even um journaling practice like basically it seems that he's uh constructed this novel from really really uh meticulous journalings that include uh, over over the course of maybe three years four years that include um dosages of drugs to the milligram um the the time of day all, all these sorts of things it shows him noticing patterns in this self-reported history and just the way this book was constructed and with the departure from the earlier nihilism, as I mentioned, uh, made it, I mean, it was great to see the character arc in the novel itself, but also from a meta vantage, it was really beautiful and really um, was inspiring for me to uh, take even greater accountability in my own life. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's not often that a novel will actually change your life in a meaningful way. And I don't mean to overstate it. Our lives are changing all the time. But this made me think more about um, what I'm putting into my body, uh, the things that make my body feel good and that being kind to your own body and doing things uh that that make your body feel good in, in like a real holistic sense um is also an act of community love you know because you're better poised to be supportive of the people that are counting on you when you are uh yeah not curled up in a hungover ball <laughs> I mean, he's uh, definitely a strange character. I'll say this and that he put out yes. a pretty controversial like Twitter thread about curing himself of autism. And there was a lot of people yes. like pushing back on that. And like, I, you know, I read like you, I read some of his earlier books, like shoplifting from American apparel and uh, yep. a book called E, 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 E. And uh, yep. what I liked about those books, books is like it felt very new and fresh and like avant-garde and i think you can only do that for so long before you're like no longer new right and Mm. avant-garde and pushing the boundaries of stuff um so i i don't know it's interesting he's an interesting case he's interested me a little bit less so it's it's interesting to hear people who have read him in a different way than like I guess I'm a little close-minded if I 
you know, to him, <laughs> like, honestly, like it's, it's a tougher sell than like going back and reading Joy Williams book for me, right. because I I've given him a fair shot. And like, I feel like it's his earlier stuff just wasn't that deep. And it sounds like he's maybe gotten a little more serious. Reflective. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely want to emphasize that the best part about this book was having read his earlier stuff and seeing such a maturation Hmm. from from that point um and you know making the case that uh people can and do change people but yeah i'm i'm aware of uh the controversies around him and um i also felt skeptical picking this book up um i'm not even sure why i did but i'm happy (laughs) yeah Oh, cool. Leaf Society. Honestly, it wasn't even on my radar. I think the last one of his that I picked up was Taipei. Um, Yeah, but same. Interesting. I've Uh, never read anything by Tao Lin. I think because of this kind of sort of cultural thing among my friends that have held his work a bit in like at bay or in derision a little bit or something. So I've just always like been like, ah, I I just won't check that out, I guess. But it's yeah, nice well, to hear it, like a, a heartening new direction or. Yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, to be absolutely clear, like there are an infinite book, a number of books that we can choose from. There's yeah. <laughs> no reason necessarily that uh, either of you or the listeners of this podcast should uh, definitely choose this one. But, mm-hmm. you know, just fr- from my year of reading, it really did stick out. Stand out. I yeah. have to admit. Nice. Cool. Uh, that's yeah. that's, that's definitely interesting to hear. And like I say, yeah, I, I'm yeah. I'm not saying I'm saying this is like a flaw in me, not in you or in Talin. <laughs> like it's a flaw in me that I'm like close minded to him in some ways. Um, yeah. And well, and I mean he's know, he he has he has flaws, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, and so do I, and so do we all. Yeah, I, I accept yeah, that. And I'm, like I say, I'm, I'm I want to make it clear, like it's not something me judging you or him it's me judging myself so um <laughs> sure. you've bought you've brought matt to a point of introspection evan and, and oh, we okay. appreciate that on this show yeah and also like i i don't know like <laughs> how much you know like do i want to read a book that changes my life in that way right now i don't know it's a good question <laughs> yeah we like our habits no sure yeah it's, we're very comfortable yeah, yeah. Um, Evan, thank you for your great list. That's awesome. I've only read one of those books, so I have I have some great homework to do, and I love that. Well, I can't wait to hear yours. Yeah, awesome. Dave, Matt, do you want to so go much. next? Let's let's alternate ours, Dave. Let's do like sure. sounds good. Let's do um, one and one, and then we'll we'll go back and forth. Great. All right. What's one of your top top fives you want to highlight? Yeah, number one on my list is a book that I probably spent the most time with in 2022, not because it's really long or tricky or complex. I just was in a really slow period where I read the book really slowly. And uh, it's Mm -hmm. a book called Robert Cruz, written by Thomas Berger. And I bought this book came out in 1995, I think 1991. And I bought the book at a library book sale because I was like, one, I never heard of it. I like Thomas Berger because he wrote Little Big Man. Um, and I thought maybe this is related to Harry Cruz. Like I'm a big Harry Cruz fan. And partly when you were talking about Joy Williams in Florida, it makes me think of Harry Cruz who taught at University of Florida for a long time and was kind of 
always an alcoholic drunk falling over himself uh, but a big part of literary culture there um mm. but this has nothing to do with harry cruz really although i have a suspicion the book was based on him uh, i couldn't find because the book came out in like the early 90s i couldn't find anything online that's like oh this is a thinly veiled book about harry cruz what it is is like a thinly veiled retelling of the Robinson Crusoe story. So Robert oh, okay. Cruz, it's like really it's uh, Robinson yeah. Crusoe. And the book is a very similar to the book Hatchet, if you've ever read as a kid. Gary Paulson. Oh, yeah, like the YA novel. <laughs> the plane crashes in the forest, one person survives. In Hatchet, it's a kid. In Robert Cruz, it's a drunken former like writer named Robert Cruz. And in it's like a survivalist book. He has to survive in the wilderness alone and find his way home. And mm. that is, uh, I don't know. It's almost like reality TV. Like you ever watch those like reality TV yeah, shows yeah, okay. like alive where it's like someone's alone in the middle of, alone in the middle of the Alaskan wilderness. It's really fascinating. What are they going to eat? What are they going to, you know, life is reduced to its bare <laughs> essentials. Um, so again, yeah. I, I think Thomas Berger is a great writer. I don't know that this is like, I'm not putting it up there with like Moby Dick or anything. I spent a lot of time with the book cause I read it slowly. Um, I thought about it a lot and I had never heard anyone else read the book or talk yeah. about it. And you know, I've been around books a long time. So I'm always looking for stuff that like, just, I know to talk about. And, uh, I don't know why that appeals to me, but, um, <laughs> If I did see at least one of our carving friends, out your niche, Matt. I did see yeah. at least one of our friends, uh, Dennis Frank, had picked up the book on Twitter, probably based on my oh, yeah. recommendation. So, if anyone else wants to read this book and, and talk about it, I would be down. Um, but it, nice. it was just like I say, a book that I spent a lot of time with, and I really liked the main character. I was rooting for him to get out oh, yeah. of the wilderness. Um, sort of a companion book with that is a Rebecca Solnit book called Field Guide to Getting Lost about how freaking hard it is actually to get lost in this day and age and the people who do get lost, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's sort of like losing sense of time and consciousness rather than losing your coordinates. But mm. this sort of fictional conceit of crashing a plane in the middle of nowhere, you know, how many times have you flown over somewhere and you just look down, it's just forest or it's just oh, yeah. as far as you can see, no people. And this, that sort of allows a fiction writer to drop in a person who's not paying attention to where they're flying, like somewhere in the wilderness. And it's really hard to get out of. Like, it'd be one thing if you crashed, you know, near a road or a body of water or something. But mm -hmm. anyways, that that's probably my number one. Hmm. Cool. Sounds fun. It kind of reminds me that they're getting a little bit off topic here, but I just watched Triangle of Sadness a couple nights ago. Has anyone seen that movie? Never heard of it. No. Okay. It's uh, from the same director who did Force Majeure, which was a movie was like, five years ago. Though. Never heard of it. Okay. It's about like people on a, like a uh, very rich people on a cruise ship and things kind of go awry. Woody Harrelson is the most famous actor in it. It's great. I really liked it. It's a major takedown of like luxury culture and, uh, there's a lot of fun interplay between like uh, Marxism and capitalism between some of the characters. So that's your number one. <laughs> uh, yes. That film is my number one book that I read this year. <laughs> um, one of the books I would want to highlight this year is a book called transcendent kingdom by Yaa Jesse. Has anyone read Yaa Jesse before? She's a Ghanaian American writer. 
I was um, say Yagyasi. I didn't know it was Jesse, but I've seen the name. Yeah, it's pronounced Jesse. She was on Bookworm actually to talk about this book with Michael Silverblatt, and she has a, a previous book called uh, what is it called? Home Homeland Homecoming, I think it's called. Um, but this book, uh, Rachel, my wife, put me on this book. She like pretty much has a policy now that she just doesn't read books by white male authors or if she does it's like maybe like two a year or something like that so she like reads a lot of like um diverse uh people of color women writers and this is a book that she really recommended to me so i was like great um it's about a 28 year old phd candidate stanford who's doing her research in neuroscience she's working on like lab mice and there's a lot of stuff in this book about uh you know the immigrant experience coming from ghana living in the in i think it's alabama that they live in um so like that's a major differently cultural context from coming from ghana right like coming to that state in the u.s um there's a lot of stuff about like addiction and depression and familial loss in this book you know those themes seem to be in a lot of books that we tend to like matt and talk about on this on this show um so she's really like working on these lab mice to try and like figure out cures for her loved ones, sort of like people who have close proximity to her. Um, and then meanwhile, there's a whole bunch of kind of themes about um, her growing up in like a very like conservative Christian evangelical context. And then her being a scientist and working through big questions of science and biology and theology and how all those things, you know, relate to each other or uh, intersect or, in some cases crash and so there's a lot of stuff about science and religion in this book that's really compelling and um yeah i i like this book a lot it's like a nice kind of detour from some of the more like i don't know postmodern self-aware stuff that i usually read um but i would really recommend uh transcendent kingdom by yaw jesse okay awesome yeah um what what you're saying dave about like rachel only reading non yeah men you know we yeah. we definitely sweat this about like the guests that we have on the show and like even you know we try to have a mix of men and women and we're not always successful at it and we admit whenever we don't have a good mix of it and there's definitely like some people who are out on on that whole thing which is fine uh i want to just you know, looking back at my list, I do realize like I have a pretty good mix of men and women on here. Like of the 30-ish books that I've read, good mix of international writers versus people writing in English. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am like my personal reading is like I want another caveat. This is number three. It's purely for pleasure. <laughs> like I read for pleasure. Like I'm not in grad school. I'm not doing yeah. this for work. Yeah. I'm not doing this out of like a gun to my head obligation i'm doing this because like i find deep personal pleasure in reading and i mm-hmm. sort of let my nose take me wherever it goes i see a lot of people posting online like these are the books i'm going to read in 2023 it's like some long spreadsheet of lists like mm-hmm. you're gonna read this book <laughs> and like i just yeah. don't operate that way like i operate much more out of serendipity and like whatever i'm yeah, in the mood yeah. for independent yeah. stuff that like Maybe I reread something I wasn't planning on it. Maybe something new comes out. Maybe I discover a book at bookshop. So that's yeah. another caveat. Like I don't, I'm very online, but I try not to follow a lot of the crowds and the trends of everyone got this new book and they're all reading it. I really try not to give a shit about that. And I do get suckered into it sometimes <laughs> to buy a book, but yeah. I mean, Dave, Evan, do you, do you deal with any of this like 
fear of missing out or anything like that? Uh, well, the, the question of how we choose what next to read is yeah. really, really interesting, I think. Like, do you want to continue the conversation that you're having, you know, read a contemporary of them, or, uh, you know, do you need to totally mix it up? And um, I agree with you, Matt. You, you want to just follow your nose um, because curiosity is yeah. hard to come by and when you actually have genuine interest in following up on something mm-hmm. you just got to listen to that yeah. um <laughs> so you know sometimes i'll i'll be stuck in you know tr- translated novels from japan for like four books in a row and um <laughs> and then at a certain point you just know that you gotta take a flight somewhere else right yeah. um so yeah, but, and you but, were yeah, like I, t- totally I do. nervous to go there in the first place. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> totally. That's right. Um, but I do, I, I am, um, I am intentional about r- reading diversely and that means, uh, diverse authorship. And that also means, uh, topically diverse, uh, diverse, um, publication dates, you know, mm-hmm. not, only stuff in the 20th century or 21st century um and uh although i i have to draw the line at you know if it's if it's just like a straight up nonfiction, (laughs) you know if if it's not a book with uh supposedly literary merit then i'm i it's hard to get to the next page for me yeah 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 and I also don't read a lot of poetry, but I guess that's something that I want to dig into also. But but mm-hmm. yeah, it's so I mean the que- questions around reading diversely, I think, uh, can be interpreted in a variety of ways. I do have a poetry recommendation on my list from last year. Um, okay, but my number two is a work of nonfiction. I do, like I say, happily read something without a lot of literary merit. Uh, but this book is a book of nonfiction. With some literary merit, which is a biography of uh, one of my favorite writers, Evan S. Connell. And the biography came out last year. It's called Literary Alchemist by Steve Paul, who was a journalist uh, from Kansas City. And I was, one, just shocked to see that someone had written a biography of Evan S. Connell. Um, He is a very eclectic writer. Like, he... In his career, he jumped around from topic to topic almost intentionally, weirdly. His probably most famous book is uh, Mrs. Bridge, Mr. Bridge and Mrs. Bridge, which they're fantastic books if you've not read those. Um, very fragmented style, highly literary, sort of domestic novels, Mrs. Bridge being the better one of the two. But he also wrote two books which I, I really love, which are super fragmented, called Notes from a Bottle Found at the Beach at Carmel, and the other one called Points of a Comp- for a Compass Rose, which are really um, almost like David Markson, little fragments full of literary allusions oh, yeah. and Latin and prayers. Oh. and um, But they have a maybe more coherent structure in some ways than Markson's books. Anyways, biography of... of Evan S. Connell, I was riveted by because <laughs> I knew almost nothing. He was a very private person. I knew no, almost nothing about his actual life. Evan S. Connell biography by uh, Steve Paul is just 
you know, if you have any interest in Evan Connell, um, he also wrote Son of the Morning Star about General George Custer, which was turned into a big movie series in the TV series oh, okay. in the early 90s. Um, but again, it, I really love his book, Notes from a Bottle Found on the Beach at Carmel. Um, uh, and, and then to read a biography of the guy. I mean, I hope someday someone does a biography of David Markson, you know. I'd love to see that. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, I'd read that. Um, yeah, sure. So, so that's my number number two. Nice. Uh, for number two for me, a book called Intimacies by Katie Kitamura. She is uh, married to Hari Kansru, Matt, which you yeah. recommended Red Pill a couple of years ago on this episode. Right. And I read that and I really liked it. Um, so there, it's her fourth novel. came out in 2021. It's about a woman who um, leaves New York and goes to the Hog in the Netherlands to work as a translator at the International Criminal Court. And she's assigned to a case against like a um, like horrific uh, West African leader who's being charged with war crimes. And she's inter- she's interpreting this like very long, months long um, trial. And the book is like, it's like, really just got this like lovely flow to it it's like very pleasant to read the protagonist i don't think she ever really gets named in the book so you don't have a sense of like really close personal attachment to the protagonist but there's something kind of like curious and intriguing about it um and there's stuff about like her family back home her father has recently died she starts a relationship in netherlands she doesn't really know anybody and there's some like really riveting scenes where she's like face to face with this dictator in the same like small room and she has the job of translating and uh it's a it's also a book that rachel recommended to me and i i found it to be really quite powerful and uh i mean like quietly devastating is a word or a phrase that sometimes gets ascribed to books and i think that this is one that that does that really nicely um yeah intimacies katie kitamira thanks dave um, how about number three matt yeah i'll be quick uh number three for me is uh, a book called we keep the dead close by becky cooper and mm-hmm. becky who i was aware of back on the days of the DT Max book coming out. She also, like me, did some research for DT Max on the life of David Foster Wallace. And when she was an undergrad at Harvard, she wrote her uh, thesis on Wallace, kind of like a biography of Wallace herself that she wrote. So when I saw she had a book coming out, um, nonfiction book, I was fascinated by it and I bought it. And it's big. It's like six, 700 pages. And it's a very much first person tale of her hearing a rumor at Harvard that a professor in the 60s, anthropology professor, had murdered a student. And this was like unspoken, like no one talked about it. And maybe he got away with it and maybe he's still there. And so she has this opportunity to go and like, shit, should I confront him? He's still here. (laughs) And this is sort of in the Me Too era, but it's not just that he maybe had an affair with her. It's like, killed her and the case is fascinating and you know it's a true crime book in that she's gonna be like i'm gonna find if he didn't do it maybe he did whoever it is i'm gonna try to solve this murder and again she doesn't know these people 
the woman's parents are still alive or, or family members are still alive brother. And, you know, it's sort of a tale of her following this thread that she just can't stop thinking about this case. Um, Hmm. The woman's name, the murdered woman's name is Jane Britton. And like when her body was discovered, there was some like red ochre powder found on the body, which they think they could only find at a certain anthropology lab. And maybe there was some weird burial ritual Mm -hmm. done over her that was related Mm. to this tribe that they were studying. So she gets very into like the anthropology of like what they were studying um, at this Mm. dig site in what is now Iran. Um, And it's just a really well done uh, book. I found it very satisfying. Could have not put it down. Um, Mm. We keep the dead close by. Jane, uh, it's about Jane Britton by Becky Cooper. And it's one of those books I t- think too came out like right at the beginning of the pandemic and really didn't get mm-hmm. much publicity because it came out at a bad time. But mm-hmm. sounds incredible. Yeah, it's yeah, really good. Well. Becky Cooper. Cool. And it's huge. Yeah, it's like 700 pages, I think. It's pretty big. <laughs> you know. Yeah, okay. Deep dive. Cool. Uh, I guess number three for me, this probably doesn't need a lot more commentary is uh, I read the overstory by Richard powers this year. And Deb, when we had Deb Olin Unferthon, uh was around this time last year, I think she kind of like galvanized me to read it. Um, I wouldn't say like humiliated me, but she was definitely very <laughs> like, Oh Dave, you have to read this book. It's <laughs> I'm just kidding. Deb. Um, yeah. So I was like, all right, now's the time. Picked it up. Absolutely loved it. This book is gorgeous. It is like the prose is just crackles off the page. It makes you think about your place in nature in ways that other books have never done. Uh, trees are like beyond fascinating now. And I really noticed them a lot more as a result of this book. And um, yeah, I think, I think it lives up to, to all of its accolades that it received, including the Pulitzer. Did you have a favorite section of it, Dave? Um, I really like the opening, like the first 50 pages was really compelling about the like, you know, chestnut. immigrants to America in like the 1600s and the, the American chestnut tree and then the like blight that happened upon it. And then the way that that just sets the stage for the rest of the lineage in the book and the, and the families and characters, I thought it was a great kind of like open. Yeah. I like that sequence a lot. Anyone else um, got a chance to get to that one? Yeah, I mean, I love that book. Not yet. Yeah. I've, I've been curious about Richard Powers for a long time. Actually, yeah. you know what introduced me to the name Richard Powers was um, Every Love Story is a Ghost Story mm-hmm. by D.T. Max, um, yeah. which an invaluable book for introducing titles. Like, you know, I thought one of the one of the great <laughs> yeah. things about, about the biography was um, how uh, closely, um, well, how seriously it took Wallace's reading habits yeah, and, um, you know, really made that accessible for the Mm -hmm. reader. There's a really great, uh, conversation between Wallace and powers, um, that's online. I can't remember. We'll link to it in the show notes, but I listened to it after I finished the overstory. It's like a 30 minute conversation on a stage with a, with a moderator where they're just talking about writing and, and it's a lovely conversation and they're both like very endeared to each other. You can tell like they both really respect each other. Uh, Well, wasn't there some sort of um, conspiracy theory that maybe David Foster Wallace was Richard Powers, like secret pen name 
or one way or the other. I think mm. there was, this was I, more I, related to Evan. Do you know Dara. what I'm talking about, Matt? Yeah, I think this is more related to Evan Dara. That, oh, uh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Richard Powers okay. was Evan Dara. Um, but in that mm. interview that you talk about, Dave, there that was a conspiracy theory for a while amongst in the uh, early 2000s Wallace fandom that I loved was in that interview, there's a version of it online that starts with just Wallace talking and you don't get to hear powers. And Wallace mm. says something at the beginning of that interview, like before he reads, he says, Oh, well I have a brick in my back pocket. Um, but I'm going to read from this other thing. And people are like, Holy shit. Does that mean he's written another like thousand page novel mm. and he's keeping it in his back pocket. But when you listen to the full thing, powers is actually talking about, Charles Dickens and in Dickens there's a character who goes around selling houses by keeping a brick in his back pocket and he's he will sell you the whole house by saying it's made out of this kind of a brick and, oh, yeah. and Powers is using that as a metaphor for how writers go around selling a novel by just reading a little portion of it at these readings and so ah, Wallace so yeah. Wallace is picking up saying like well I have a brick in my back pocket but I'm going to read from this other thing that's not from a novel but when gotcha. we first heard that, we were just like, holy shit, he has a brick in his back pocket. <laughs> um, That's amazing. Um, I mean, I have a long relationship um, as a reader with Richard Powers, and I think his friends call him Rick Powers. Uh, I read him first in 1996, a book called Galatea mm. 2.2, which I fell oh, yeah, in love with. Oh, yeah, that's one of your very favorites. It's one of my I very favorite books. One. And I mean, immediately read everything he'd written, which was only three other books at that point. Now he's written about mm. a dozen more, and I've read them, I think, all. Um, I think there is, uh, it's a long story, but I got, I got to meet his editor once, uh, who was Elizabeth Sifton when she was at SF FSG and he had just written a book called game, which is about soap, a very weird book. Um, <laughs> we had, cool. you know, tried to get him to, yeah, I ended up to listening the- to quite a few like interviews and stuff. Uh, of his after I finished the overstory and he's so compelling to listen to. Like yeah, he's, he's a, a really good speaker. Man. And he lectured yeah, at Stanford for a while. I think he lives in like rural Tennessee or Kentucky or something now. Yeah. And he, um, his new book, which is really good, his newest book, which is about like the, the stars. Yeah. And like, yeah. Yeah. I need to get to that. Soon. Family novel. Place. Like, like most of his books, there's a scientific part and then like a domestic yeah. part. Um, right. All right. My, am I number on number four? four? Number four. We're on um, number four. Let's wrap it up. It's really hard for me to narrow this down. Um, I'm since Evan mentioned poetry, I'm going to mention a book of poetry that I read that I really loved, which is called Airport Music by Mark Tardy. And hmm. I got to meet Mark uh, last year. He came to the Ransom Center, and I'd actually oh, yeah. bought one of his previous books before I met him, uh, called The Circus of Trust by, which was published by Dalkey Archive. And this was a really hard, weird book for me to read. Like text is all over the page. Um, It's like, what the fuck is going on in this book, the circus of trust. And I really, I like parts of it that I could understand, but I felt like I wasn't smart enough to read a lot of it. (laughs) And, but then I got his, I like a book that makes me feel dumb. Well, I wouldn't say dumb. I'm just like challenged (laughs) maybe. Yeah. So then I got his book from 2013, which is called Airport Music, and it's pretty different. And um, 
you know, I do read a lot of contemporary poetry. I subscribe to Poetry Magazine. I read all the poems in The New Yorker and The New Yorker Review of Books and um, follow a lot of poets on Twitter. And there are some whom I really love that I could name where I'll read everything they write. Uh, Gabrielle Calvo Caressi. I really love my friend uh, Dan Beachy Quick. I read Ben Lerner's stuff. I really like, I could drop names on the poetry stuff, people that I really love, but most of it that I read in like, just for fun is not good is not memorable right and it's like i'm looking for that hit when something is really good where i like copy it out by hand memorize it paste it i love that and what i like about this book yeah what i love about this book from mark tardy called airport music is that it has some combinations of words in it that i've never read anywhere else Mm. and this is something that poetry can do something song lyrics can do um Mm -hmm. you know and and you you read a sentence and you're like i've never read these words in that order before and i think as a writer Mm -hmm. that's really freaking hard to do you know if you're writing every day you're not going to have those moments of like pure inspiration and creativity every day and i think poets are some of the ones who work really hard at doing that Mm -hmm. some of them who are working really hard a lot my critique on a lot of contemporary american poetry is that it's it's very much like a short story with line breaks like it's just a narrative like i was walking down the street line break i saw a woman with a bass you know with a walking a basset hound line break (laughs) that to me is like very different than what mark tardy is doing in this book Okay. Um, do you have a sample you could read us that sort of illustrates sure that? sure i was gonna read i know you like to underline your books uh, and flag them i, all I do i do um and he he jumps around a lot where you'll be you'll think you'll know where a sentence is going and you're like wait what the fuck like i don't know all right this is uh the, the title poem called airport music it says nothing will absolve you of yourself not the train tracks a block away not Zimni Piwo, which is Polish, or carefully manicured lawns, not the chairs that guard our parking spots, a cigarette necktie. Let X equal the amount of broken glass strewn across the sidewalk. Let Y equal the most hurried, the last, this brute contingency, that any breathing falls, imperfect, half-boarded up. There's no harm for anyone else in your mathematics. Thin negatives, slant black, never quiet, only graspless, locked into the cut of a house. Let K equal a knot of people, expectant, sounding each other out. A drawn bath to deform water, a butcher's broom. It goes on. This is a multi-page poem, but huh. it's very... Kind of reminds me of like Tom unique. York lyrics a little bit. It's very unique. <laughs> Not far off, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, that's cool. that sounds good. something that I, what I like about it too, is I can go back and reread it. It's different reading it aloud for sure. Um, mm-hmm. It's very different on the page. And uh, I'm yeah. always looking for more poetry recommendations. So if people have stuff, I promise to check it out if they want to recommend it. Cool. Nice. That was cool. I, I always love systems of false logic 
or like you know <laughs> I- extremely rigorous approaches to nonsense yeah that sort of <laughs> that's a great way to put that yeah. i yeah. like it there's a fair that amount of this cool. there's one poem that's like kind of a fucked up recipe you know where it's like mm. add one cup purchase duck blood yeah. from the butcher the blood will contain vinegar if preparing own poultry put half cup vinegar into glass bowl with blood to prevent coagulation set aside it goes on like he uses right. a lot of that mathematical hmm. stuff in there but cool uh, anyway he should he's... definitely be preventing coagulation at all costs <laughs> <laughs> i agree that's why we're here on this show yeah it's our it's our raison cool um my number four is a book called auto portrait by jesse ball awesome. this was recommended to us jesse by ball. adam levin right. on his like top five on our bonus episode that we did with him and uh this book is like it reminds me a lot of david markson in the way that it's just like these kind of short vignettes they're you know presumably autobiographical and just weird like little stories of his childhood and his teen years and like things that he likes and doesn't like and if you take this book at face value that it's like completely true about him like this guy is very odd but in ways that are like funny and cool and like interesting and you would really just want to hang out with him for a couple hours and just like get the read on on him um and he teaches i think at uh was it art institute of chicago i might be getting that that name wrong but um he's a creative writing professor and like this book is just like so pleasant and i remember i was i finished it on a bus coming home from vancouver i went to vancouver for a competitive event and i didn't do quite as well as i wanted to at it and i was feeling kind of just like bummed out but i was reading this book on the bus and like by the time i finished it i just felt like so at peace with the world and myself and my disappointment and it just kind of like gave me this space to be like it's okay to fail and it's not the end of the world. And like, I just have this like very euphoric memory of finishing this book on a bus. And uh, I really enjoyed it all the way through. I messaged Adam. I was like, Hey, I just finished auto portrait. Thanks for this great recommendation. And he goes, Oh, that's funny. I'm actually at Jesse's house right now in Chicago staying over the night. And I was like, Holy shit. That's so <laughs> random. Like tell him, thank you for his beautiful book. Um, <laughs> so auto portrait by Jesse ball really dug it. Great recommendation. Yeah, the the style of the book is that every sentence is like a random personal thing about him and there's really mm-hmm. not much structure to it. And I mm-hmm. believe that either Adam said this or maybe the book jacket says this is that he wrote the book in one day. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember reading that and being like, it's, it's pretty know, short incredulous and about that, but so he had yeah. read this book, which is the uh, auto portrait by Edward uh, Leve, which Right. translated by Lauren Stein. And it's the same thing. And he was like, I'm going to do my version of auto portrait. So there's mm-hmm. auto portrait by Edward Leve, And then there's auto portrait by Jesse ball. And honestly, mm-hmm. I think um, Jesse's book starts out much quicker. I found Edward right. Leve's book a little slower of a start, although it okay. picks up significantly. And I found it um, really good by the end of it. I read the Jesse Ball book much faster. You could probably read it oh, yeah. in like a matter of hours. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's really short. Yeah. But it stuck with me. Um, all right. I'm going to do, I'll do one more. I mean, I'm really debating because I feel like I have like shit, <laughs> five more I could talk about. Um, totally. 
But I think the one that I'm going to mention is this book, which is Re Young, called Zol. Hmm. And this is a book that I had never heard of until I walked into the bookstore, Half Price Books here in Austin, Texas, which you've been in with me, Dave, that Half Price Books. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that's a wonderful place to be. I was sort of like, holy shit, Re Young has a new book because I only knew that of one book that he had done, which I had read called Margarito and the Snowman, which had been published by Dalkey Archive Press. And I was like, I felt like that was the sort of under the radar book that I wanted to talk about. Um, but this book is like a sequel to it. And it looks to me to be basically self-published, Tej, Tej Press. And again, I don't know anything about this guy. It turns out there's like four other books that he have all kind of self-published. And I just feel like if there was any justice in the world, like this guy would be extremely <laughs> well-known um, writer. Oprah's book club. Uh, I don't know about that, but he would be amongst people who like avant-garde literary fiction, okay. you know? Yeah. Um, and so th th these books are very hard to summarize, but they are significant because um, of the style. It's not so much the plot, the characters, the setting, all that stuff is good. It's harder mm -hmm. to extract from the style. Um, the style is really what the guy excels at. And I, I will read you a piece of it to give you a taste of it. Um, awesome. Again, his name is like, I, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. It's just like capital R, capital E, young, all one word. And, Apparently he lives in yeah. Austin, but I've never met him. I would love to meet him. He's an interesting guy. I think he's a great writer. Um, part of what appeals to me about this book is what appealed to me about novel explosives is that it's some of it set in Mexico around drug cartels oh, yeah. and the, the border. There's also a lot of stuff in it about um, films and making movies and, cinema verite and there's slapstick comedy in it there's all kinds of you know spelunking just crazy shit in here. but it's like <laughs> okay it's very well like i say that the style of the writing is what makes it unique and here's a a taste of zol this is the first page which is just a one page intro kind of a standalone thing before you get to the characters <laughs> I haven't I haven't done practice this, so here we go. Oh Margarito <laughs> It was a song on the radio. El Exito numero uno. It was the sun's golden rays on the petals of a daisy. Mira que bonito. It was a people's cry for freedom. Escucha mi grito. But Margarito, isn't that some kind of bebido? Tequila, Grand Marnier, crushed ice, salt on the rim, a teaspoon of sugar, and the juice of a lemoncito? No, not Margarita with a feminine uh, but Margarito with a decidedly masculine o. Oh, you mean Margarito, the bandito, with drooping mustachios and a marijuana cigarito clinched between his teeth -o? The picture postcard Margarito in a serape and floppy sombrero leaning ay 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 against a spiny cactusito? Margarito el Wapo serenading his latest swoon with a plinky plunk guitarito? Margarito in a Torador costume, waving his red cape in the bull, the bull ring. 
Ole Matadorito, Margarito the Revolucionario, splashing across the Frio Grande on horseback in a blazing shootout with the Federales. Viva Zapatorito! Margarito squeezed, distilled, desphinctered out of a thousand screaming childhood Saturday afternoon matinees of a grainy, crackling, and popping technicolor big screen adventure. That Margarito? No, not that Margarito. Another Margarito in another time, in another place, somewhere south of the border, down old Mexico way, and beyond in a land ruled forever under the kingdom of the sun and called from ancient times in the ancient tongue by the single word Zol which is the title of the book, Zol. Mm-hmm. So crazy, like, wow. lyrical. That is party time. Writer. And like every page is different versions of this and jumps around into even different styles. Um, Margarito and the Snowman is apparently the first book in the trilogy. Zol is the second one. Okay. I have not read the third one. He's got multiple other books, uh, but I just feel like someone needs to buy his books and buy the rights to them and like republish them so that hmm. it gets a bigger audience. So I was yeah, very excited stuff. to see that. Awesome. <laughs> and speaking of Mexico, uh, Evan, I think you read 2666 this year. I saw I on your did. Instagram post. Yeah. I did. How'd that land for you? Well, um, it's an incredible book. You know, it's if anybody reading it, or planning to read it should know that it's super violent. Um, it's it, very dis- part two is so disturbing, especially. Yeah. yeah um, I mean, in the center there, uh, it's like basically 400 pages straight of clinical descriptions of femicides. Yeah. And um, if it's possible to talk about, you know, this book outside of, that context, which is of course not, but like every other section is so, so good and um, propulsive, compelling, gorgeous. And then right in the center, we have like, you're basically just taken to hell. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a strange book to uh, talk about and to recommend. um, But I'm very happy that I read it. Mm -hmm. I think Bolaño is, uh, you know, one of the, one of the most important uh, uh, authors for me, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I really like his work, and I'd been long eyeing twenty six sixty six. But um, yeah, it's certainly an undertaking, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure we've talked uh, about the book and Bologna on this before, but I one thing I did not talk about in the past year I wanted to bring up was. Um, probably the last book of Bolaño's published in English, which was this one, Cowboy Graves, which, you know, I wanted to write something about, I wanted to talk about on the show. I don't think I ever got around to it. So um, Mm. uh, I I don't know when the right time is, but I I actually really like uh, Cowboy Graves, which is like three sort of, or two novellas and one short story and in a collection. And, you know, what you can tell from 2666 too is that there's a lot of overlap with his whole fictional universe. And yes. mm-hmm. the piece is sort of like Amalfitano mm-hmm. shows up in the spirit of science fiction. Arturo Bellano shows up, you know, there, there's a, a lot of different yeah. pieces. Like yeah, he didn't really, maybe yeah, he wrote in these really kind of whirlwind pieces mm-hmm. that can, you know, connect the novels for his editors, but he didn't really worry about that. So there's a lot of fragments out there. Um, 
from 2666 or maybe with some crossover so cool um okay good to know okay all right my final book uh this is not an author that needs more publicity from us than he's already received on this show but liberation day by george saunders is a book that i read right at the tail end of the year and uh big thanks to penguin random house for sending us copies of this for review i love this book like anything george writes just kicks my ass in the best ways uh has anyone gotten to this one yet no it came out pretty late in the year I have not. I have not. It's unread. It's by weirdly, me. like this is Definitely first short story collection now. in ten years, right? Okay, which wow. is like since tenth of December, which I is guess. bewildering to like think about. It's been that long since his last short story collection, but like he's still the best. He's still the best at it. He's still so good at writing short stories, and the stories in this book are so bizarre. Uh, for example, in the first one, which is Liberation Day, kind of reminds me of Simplica Girl Diaries where there's these people who are like uh, put up on this person's wall and they're, they're speakers and they sing and they perform plays and he brings in like his rich friends into the audience. And these people are like, they have a, an input in their skull that gets jacked in and they like do these performances for, and they're essentially slaves where their brains have been like wiped out and they have no memory of their past life. And, they just know that they've got a lot of money out of it to like give to their family or something. And the story goes in like weird directions from there, but like it's what Saunders does really well is creates these like uh, hyper capitalist hellscapes and just does very bizarre and funny things with them. There's another story in here where these people are like uh, kind of in like a theme park and they're like, they're like theme park, you know, like, um, actors or whatever kind of like gives you back like a civil warland in bad decline vibe a little bit but they're they're like in hell it's like dante's inferno is like the theme park and they're it seems like they're underground but no visitors are every ever coming through the park but they're always practicing and it almost has this like nuclear bunker vibe where they just live underground and they never see the light of day and there's all these like intense parameters put on them by the people who run this place like these are the kinds of stories that are in this book and it's just it's wonderful and i flew through it it's quite short overall and uh if you get a chance to get george's new one it did not disappoint for me um i think what i'm going to do dave too is put in a list of some other books that i read and liked in the show notes of this episode oh yeah that's a great so idea if people want to go and look at that i'll i'll type some of that up yeah evan if people want to find out more about pine grove you have a website is that correct pine grove oh uh Bands. pine grove band dot com dot com awesome. and they can sign up for an email newsletter there's yeah merch there there's download band camp what else is there well, I don't know. We're all over the internet, <laughs> you know, all of the digital streaming platforms. Yeah. Um, if you want to see us play live, uh, but you live in Brazil, you can watch on youtube.com. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, pretty much all of the places that you would look to find the band's <laughs> material, they're there. You look for the for us in those same places. <laughs> Nice. And Um, does Pine Grove have any tour plans for 2023 that you can speak of yet? And can I entice you guys to come play Victoria, British Columbia, Canada? She's very close to Vancouver. I'd love to come come to PC. 
but the an- the answer is no. Um, no, uh, no plans. No plans. That must feel kind of nice. Hey? It does. It does. <laughs> Liberation Day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. You. We're figuring out what the next move is, but but there's there's some things that we're um, that we're working on. We have a couple of live things, uh, just like you know we've already recorded them, but we're figuring out how to format and package them to make them fun to to yeah. watch and listen to. Um, I, like I said, I have a few new songs, but I don't know. Um, the the answer is I don't really know. Cool. Well, I hope I get to see you guys live someday. That would be yeah. that'd be a real treat. Yeah. Well, at, awesome. at very at very least, there's uh, YouTube.com, as I mentioned. That's true. Yes, I have spectated uh, lots of your your content live that way. Um, that's great. And then your personal Instagram is Evan Stevens Hall, I think, right? Yeah. Where people that, can go right. for an annual book uh, year in reading review. Yeah. Most of your posts tend to gravitate toward that. I pretty much only post. Yeah, once a I mean. year at this <laughs> yeah. point yeah i used to take pictures and put them up yeah. but yeah. i don't know i'm just less and less interested in yeah in I, f- I find that for myself too just like and I, I and and yet i still waste so much time on it how, how does sure. that happen it, like i I know. I know that i don't even really like it or have that much fun but <laughs> it's addictive but yet yeah. i find myself there all the time my phone told me that I, last week i spent five hours daily on my phone yeah so you do I, post a lot of stories though from your i post stories one. that's right yeah i share memes I, yeah Lots i've of long had this idea yes. for Activism for a social confidence. network where you can only post once a year and it has to be like <laughs> a minimum of like five thousand words it's like a minimum, oh, minimum. i like that. minimum and it's like it's Long called christmasletter.com it was a Chris, i just made it up but like you know how like <laughs> there's some people like you used to only hear Trademark. from once a year like a christmas letter you know like yeah, you'd yeah. get their christmas yeah. card and be like oh i haven't heard from them all year here's your one chance and it's like a two page <laughs> like letter it's just like here's what i did all last year i kind of love that idea so someone will do it eventually. can you only post in december or january can you post any time throughout the year but only once only once a year well, but any any month, I like yeah. it. That's cool. Can you post one on December thirty first and then one on January first, or are you have to, there has to be three hundred sixty five three hundred sixty five days in days. between? Right. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Three hundred sixty five. I like it. Gap. I'd I'd back that. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'd sign up. Me too. Me too. Well, Evan, thank you so much for your generous time. Thank you so much for uh, so eloquently walking us through your year in reading. Um, we, we really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure having you on. And as a result of like leading up to the show, I listened to so much Pine Grove over the last like month or two. And I've, I just thank you so much for your music and your, your work, uh, with the band. It's your, your stuff's wonderful. And I hope our listeners do a massive deep dive into, into Pine Grove after this. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Matt. Also, we're going to hear a little more of Pine Grove and of your music. It's so still, how'd you do that? You settled down my habitat. If you've enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. 
and I want to put in a special plug for our Threadless merch store, which if you want to check out any of that, it's available on our website at concavityshow.com. I also want to give a plug for the upcoming DFW conference in June of 2023 in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. If you are interested in hanging out with us, uh, please plan on attending that. Uh, I will be there. Uh, You can find more info on that at dfwsociety.org. Once again, we want to thank Evan Stevens Hall for being here today. Pine Grove's music appears courtesy of Rough Trade Records and Evan Stevens Hall. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.
see only the true fans stick around until the very end. I wanted to mention one other side project I'm working on right now called Monthly Audio Newsletter Mostly About Nothing. It's a kind of experimental audio collage thing. And if you want to check it out, you can search Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google or anywhere else for monthly audio newsletter, mostly about nothing. And it'll come up and let me know what you think. Email us at concavityshow at gmail.com and keep in touch.